Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. We're in part two of our series. We're going verse by verse through the book of Habakkuk. We've entitled this series, God Questions. And certainly that's what this book is about. Habakkuk, the prophet, is asking some hard questions from God. And uh, this little book uh, is referred to as one of the 12 minor prophets. And we say, uh, when we describe it as one of the minor prophets, we're not talking about its significance, but we are talking about its size. It's a small book. And as we put this chart up just for a second to give you kind of an idea of how the Bible, the Old Testament, organizes the prophets, it begins with the major prophets, and then it has the minor prophets, again, not based on their significance, but the size. Habakkuk only has three chapters, and so it's among the minor prophets. It's not, as we uh, have talked about it before, it's not like they were part of a farm team and didn't make it to the big leagues. It's not like that. It's more like Uh, just smaller books. And Habakkuk was a contemporary of the prophets Nahum and Zephaniah. He was writing during that same time period, and he was also writing during the same time period as Jeremiah. If you go to the next slide, we've got a timeline here. Habakkuk is writing sometime between 609 and 598 B.C. Uh, He began to write, we believe, right after the death of King Josiah, who was king of Judah. And sometime after that, before the Babylonians attacked uh, Judah, this is the time period that Habakkuk is writing. And as I said, he's a contemporary of Zephaniah, of Nahum, and then also of Jeremiah. That's who Habakkuk is. Uh, We don't know much more about him except that he's a prophet, and God has given him an oracle that we read in verse 1, which could also be translated a burden. God has given this man Habakkuk a burden. And, and he is sharing it with us today. And it's a book that's just as relevant today as it was when it was first written. It's a little book, only three chapters, but it asks really big questions. And these questions are about God and about how we struggle with, with God's plan for our lives. And last week we, we studied the first 11 verses and we, we talked about how, how Habakkuk was really asking, How long, Lord? How long do I have to keep crying before you answer? I want to hear from you. And then at the the conclusion of those 11 verses, we see that God answered, but it's not what Habakkuk was hoping for. And now as we continue in chapter 1 and go into chapter 2, we see Habakkuk cry out to the Lord again, except now he's more like saying, okay, God, you answered, but I don't like your answer. And so we entitled this message, Why, Lord? Have you ever asked a why question of God? Why did this happen to me? Why am I going through this? You ever ask those kind of questions? That's what Habakkuk is doing. Uh, He's heard from the Lord now, and it's not the answer he was looking for. What do you do when you've prayed to God and you don't like the answer? You prayed for your marriage, but it ended in divorce. God, I thought you said in your word you hate divorce. Why would you, why'd you let this happen to me? You prayed for a promotion at work and another employee got the job. Why, Lord? Why? You prayed for healing, but you've been to the doctor 
And he says, the chemo's not working. Why, Lord? Why am I going through this? You prayed for children, and God hasn't given you children. Why, Lord? You said children are a blessing. I want that. Or you had a child, and you lost the child. Why, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Why do bad things happen to God's people? These are the kind of questions Habakkuk is bringing us face to face with. This is, this is real stuff. These are God questions that he's struggling with. Maybe you've been praying for a lost friend. Lord, just help me to share the gospel, the good news with this person. But instead of them growing closer to the Lord, they've rejected him further, and now they've even broken their relationship with you. Like, why, Lord? Why? What do you do when you pray, and it seems like God's not giving you the, the answer you're asking for? How do you keep going? How do, um, in, in Habakkuk, what we have here is three chapters that, in literary terms, we would call a lament. And a lament for the world is to cry out, uh, to, to write something out, or to sing something out, or to... Just to speak it out is to cry out. And, but for the believer, it's to do it while still keeping the faith. We all know how to cry. We're born with that language, aren't we? We're all born with the ability to cry. But for the Christian, a lament is not just crying within or crying without, but it's crying upward to God and saying, God, I still believe. I don't understand but I still trust you. And that's why the key verse for this chapter, and we'll actually be reading this verse today, uh, the key verse for the book, rather, is found in chapter 2, verse 4, but the righteous shall live by his faith. It's the most quoted verse from the book in the New Testament. Paul especially quotes this verse several times. So while Habakkuk is asking difficult questions, he is complaining to the Lord. Uh, he's crying out his complaints, but he never stops believing. And this is Christian lament. And we can learn something from this. I think the world disdains this two-dimensional cardboard Christianity that just pretends as if everything's coming up roses when in fact we're living in this same sinful world as they are. I think, I think it's more... Uh, conducive to people following the Lord. It's more real and authentic when we're real with people and say, yeah, I'm going through something. And I don't understand it, but I still believe. That's what Habakkuk's doing. In the book of Habakkuk, when the prophet struggled with why a holy God would, would allow an evil nation like Babylon to uh, prevail over Judah, the Lord called Habakkuk to trust that his plans were better to trust that his plans were superior uh, to his own plans. And we can trust that God's plans will be better for us. And as we look at the text today, we can see how we can trust three reasons, three ways that we can trust that God's plans are better than our plans. Let's look at the text, and you'll notice as it was last week, it begins with Habakkuk speaking to the Lord in verses 12 and following in chapter 1. And he's really replying to what God told him last week, as we were reading, what he told him earlier in chapter 1, okay, you've complained to me about how Judah, your people, are acting 
unjustly and that they are acting out of violence, I'm going to send the Babylonians to judge you. And I told you last week, I said, I don't think, I don't think Habakkuk's going to like that answer, and he doesn't. He doesn't like that answer. And so that's how he begins. He's answering what God said in the previous verses, and then we'll see in chapter 2 that God replies now to Habakkuk's new lament. Okay? So it's the same kind of pattern. Habakkuk speaks, then the Lord speaks. Let's start reading verse 12 of chapter 1. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. This is God's word. We're looking for three ways on how to trust that God's plans are better than our plans. And the first uh, way that we see that the Lord gives Habakkuk, he says, write it plainly. Write it. Habakkuk, you might not like it. You might not understand it. But engrave it. Write it plainly. We see this in verse 2 of chapter 2. It's in the Hebrew imperative. In fact, there are two imperatives in a row in the Hebrew. Write and make plain. Write it and make it plain. In other words, the make it plain is literally uh, to engrave it deeply. So there's no mistaking it. Uh, he says to, uh, to make it plain on tablets. And so we did some research this week about what that might look like. We don't think it was stone tablets like the Ten Commandments were on. This is centuries after Moses. Uh, there was a process, a technological advance that people used during the time of Habakkuk that really lasted for, for centuries. And it, and it was a way of using, we'll put, put a, an image up on the screen that archaeologists have found dozens and hundreds even of these. And it was a, they would build boxwood tablets and fill them with uh, beeswax. And so it's kind of like a, an ancient etch-a-sketch, <laughs> you know? And they would take a sharp stylus and write in it. And you had to press in deeply so the engraving was deep enough to read, okay? 
Now, this is a small one that we've got pictured here that might have been something a secretary would carry or a scribe, and you could close it and then wrap it with some kind of uh, leather uh, string or something like that, and it would be preserved then. And as long as you kept it out of the heat in a, in a cool place, it would last for centuries. But probably what Habakkuk was being instructed to do, he's supposed to make it plain so that people that, that ran by could run with it, people could see it. He was probably supposed to put it on much bigger tablets, probably at the temple where everybody would visit and see it. Kind of like putting a billboard up on I-95 if you're driving by at 70 or whatever speed you like to go. <laughs> you can still read it. So, so engrave it deeply so that he that readeth it may run with it. Okay, so that, like this idea that you can't miss it. He probably hung it up in front of his house, you know? And, and I guarantee you the people didn't like it. They were like, what? I thought you were on our side, and here you are telling us that the Babylonians are coming, they're going to overthrow us, that the way God's going to judge our sin is by sending people more sinful than us as his instrument of justice? Habakkuk's probably like, don't shoot me. I, I'm just telling you what the Lord said. And he said, not only did I have to tell you, I had to broadcast it. I had to put it on tablets for you to read. Wow. Sometimes it's tough being a preacher. It's not enough that, that you got to know some stuff the Lord told you, but then you got to tell people that aren't going to like it. You got to broadcast it. You got to write it plainly. And the thing is, he doesn't like it either. Look at how he talks to the Lord. In verse 12, he says, are you not from everlasting? Basically, his questing of the Lord, he includes all these character traits of the Lord. So this is what he believes. This is what Habakkuk believes about the Lord. He has not stopped believing that the Lord is from everlasting. He's from the beginning of time. You're the founder of all things, Lord. And then he calls him Lord capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, uh, which translates the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the covenantal name of God that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Moses said, we've been calling you the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's your name? And he says, I am that I am, which in Hebrew is Yahweh or Jehovah, which the way the English translations help us with that is they capitalize all four letters so that we know. This is the covenantal name of God that you're the God that loves us and revealed your name to us. And you're holy. And you're my God. You're my Elohim. You're not going to let us die, are you? God, you're all those things. Yet, oh Lord, you've ordained them as a judgment on us. Who's them? The Babylonians. You've ordained them. Oh, you, oh, rock. You've established them to reprove us? These are not fun questions. He's, God, why do you let bad things happen to your people? And then why would, you allow, why would you allow evil to overthrow good like this? What I was complaining, but now I take it back. I can't believe you're doing this, God. You've got pure eyes, Lord. Verse 13. They're too pure to even look at evil. You, you can't even look at wrong. Why are you able to look at these traitors, these Babylonians? Why are you going to be silent while the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So you're going to send these wicked Babylonians in, and we're, we're, we're having trouble. I, 
I told you that, but we're more righteous than they are. Why would you? Boy, Habakkuk, this is in the Bible? He's asking real questions. Why, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm struggling with this, God. But I know you're holy. I know you love us. I know you're everlasting. I know you're my rock. See, he still believes all that stuff, but he's asking his questions, and that's okay. Better to ask the Lord than it is to ask someone else or to just hold it inside until you get bitter and angry. Better just to cry out to the Lord because that's what lament is. One-third of the Psalms are laments where you just go, Lord, why'd you let this happen? I know you're good, but these plans, you're, the way they're working out right now don't seem good. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, the crawling things that have no ruler. That's, that's who we are. There's just so many of us, and no one seems to be taking charge. But he, now who's he? So every time you read you in these first few verses, he was talking to God. You, 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 that's God. But now when he switches in verse uh, 15 to refer to he, anytime you hit these pronouns, you've got to run down who he's talking about. Here, he's really talking about Babylon. The he is Babylon. It's kind of the personification of, of Babylon. Or maybe another way of looking at it, it's Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Or even more spiritually deep, you might look at it like this. He's talking about the evil one, who is the enemy of God's people. I think you can put that, you could put Satan in the he right here. Because why does God allow Satan to exist? It's kind of like that. Why would you allow this this Babylonian horde to come and test us like this. So he brings all of them up with a hook. So here's so now he's using this metaphor like like the Babylonians come through like like fishermen hooking nations. And so he's hooking them and then he changes it from hooking to a net. Now he's netting them up. He's and he rejoices over. So he's just coming through, sweeping up the nations and the people. And then he sacrifices, verse 16, to his net. He makes offerings to his dragnet. Look at who these Babylonians are. They don't even believe in you, God. In fact, whenever they win a battle, instead of sacrificing to you, they sacrifice to their nets. Or they sacrifice to the gods that they think gave them the power to overthrow nations. They don't even believe in you. Why would you use them? Look at, who, look at these. Why would you? And, and then he has another question, kind of like last week, where it's kind of a how long question. Is he then to keep on, verse 17, emptying his net and, and mercilessly killing nations forever? Like, are you going to let Babylon just like rain now? Is that the thing? Like, how long is that going to last? Can you hear Habakkuk? Asking his hard questions of God. He didn't like God's answer to his first questions. And now he's crying out. But he still believes. He still believes in a holy God, a loving God. He's crying out. And then he says something that kind of surprises me. Chapter 2, verse 1, the I is him. It's Habakkuk. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he, speaking of God, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, when I first read that, when I was first studying this, I thought, well, Habakkuk, he thinks a lot of himself, doesn't he? You know what? I've asked you my questions now, God. I'm going to take my spot here and see what you do about my complaints. I'll reserve judgment until you respond. 
I'm going to climb up in the guard tower. And when you bring them Babylonians up in here, I just don't believe you're going to do this. Because you're a holy God. I don't think you'll do this. That's the way I first read it. And, and can you see how I got it that way? That seems like the way it reads. But then I started studying on this thing about Habakkuk. And he's a prophet. And in the tradition of the prophets, they often referred to themselves as watchmen. Jeremiah did it. Isaiah did it. Ezekiel did it. They called themselves watchmen. Like they were men that were supposed to stand at the gates and the guard towers at night. And when they saw the enemy coming, they would warn the city. I think that what's actually happening here is my first thought, I wasn't giving Habakkuk enough credit. I think what Habakkuk said, I've asked my questions, Lord. Now I'm going to go back to my job. I'm going to go back to being your prophet. I'm going to watch and wait before I say anything else. Because I'm going to wait. I'm going to, I'm going to lean in and listen, Lord. I'm going to go be your prophet. I, what helped me remember this was how God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 3, he says, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. I think, I think what's happening here is Habakkuk saying, Okay, Lord, I'm going to go back. The people aren't going to like this, and I don't much care for the answer either, but I'm going to reserve judgment. I'm going to wait and see what you say. And what does God say? He says, <laughs> Go write it down. Go write it down. Engrave it on your heart and, and proclaim it, put it out on tablets so other people, and maybe some of them will engrave it on their heart too. Maybe they'll, they'll run with it. They'll get it. They'll choose my plans over their plans. Maybe. Because as he told the prophet Isaiah, this is God speaking, he says in Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He says, you might not understand it now, but just go ahead and write it down. I had people talking to me after the first service, uh, thanking me for the sermon and thanking me for being real. And I, I was like, I really didn't want to preach this book. I've, I've set myself a course as I've been at this 32 years of, of preaching the whole Bible and taking uh, and, and checking it off, as it were. Like, okay, Lord, I've never preached Habakkuk. And as I began to study, study it a couple months ago, I went, oh, yeah, now I remember why I've never preached Habakkuk. <laughs> Do I have to? It's going to make people upset. It's going to make people cry. It's going to pull the scab off of an old wound. It's... And everything I thought it would do, it's been doing. And people have been thanking me for going ahead and getting up in the watchtower and calling it out because it's God's Word. Amen. And in spite of our hurts, in spite of our difficult questions, in spite of our why, Lord, we still believe. And it helps to be reminded of that, doesn't it? Let the Lord's word sink in deeply. And as you think about this command he gave Habakkuk, write it plainly. Maybe if you're going through something today, a practical help might be to journal out what you're going through. I'm not saying you need to journal every day. Some of you are good at that. But I've got a journal that I've opened from time to time ever since I was a teenager. I still have it. 
that when I've gone through a hard time, I'll open it up again and I'll write my questions. God, why? Can you tell me what, how to, where to put this in the way I think about you and me? And some of the ones I wrote back when I was a teenager, they're kind of, they look kind of silly when I go back and look at them now. Like, really? You were worried about that? But at the time, it was a big deal. And God answered over time. Sometimes just writing it out. Don't bottle it up. Write it out plainly. Talk to the Lord about it. Lament. Lament yourself to praise. Lord, you give and take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you believe in God? What sort of God do you believe in? Habakkuk has questions, but he declares the sort of God he believes in in all of his questions. You're holy, you're everlasting, you're a rock. I'm still trying to figure out what you're doing right now, God, but I, I'm going to watch. This leads us to the second way, uh, and it's the, it's the third um, imperative that we find in the Hebrew, and it's wait for it. Wait for it patiently. We saw in verse 2, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may re- run who reads it. That the one idea is you get it into you so deep that you can run with it. You know, you run life. That's one reading that is often the preferred reading by many. Another way is even if you run by it on the interstate and see it on a billboard, it's so engraved that you'll get it. That's another way you might read it. But then in verse um, 3, he says, For still the vision awaits. Uh-oh. Got to wait on this thing that the Lord's told Habakkuk. It awaits its appointed time. God has circled a date on the calendar when he's going to allow the Babylonians to come. They haven't come yet. He's going to allow them to over throw Judah that hadn't happened yet but it's coming and then there's even an appointed date out there where he's going to call call it off with the Babylonians because he knows who they are and he knows he can't allow them to rule over Judah but he's going to allow it for a season in order to purify Judah in order to sanctify Judah because he cares more for our character than he does our comfort he's making us like Jesus and sometimes the only way Often the only way to make us more like Jesus is to put us outside our comfort where things are hard, where we can really listen, we really get focused, we, we learn to wait. Look what he says. It's, it's an appointed time. I've circled it on the calendar. It hastens to the end. It, it, will, it will not lie. What I'm telling you will happen because I will make it happen. And if it seems slow... And it will seem slow. Wait for it. There's the imperative. There it is. That's, my job is to make it happen. My job is when it happens. Your job? Wait for it. Keep believing. Wait for it. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. It might feel like it delays on your schedule, but it'll be at perfect timing of his schedule. Exactly his schedule. Wait for it. This is not passive waiting. This is active waiting. Now I want to draw out some understanding here that you might miss in verse 3 
For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. This, this introduces something more than just what's happening between Judah and Babylon. To the end. As if to the end. Like, okay, is God really, is he talking about more than, than just what's happening here? Is he telling us something even more prophetic? And as we begin to study this in the original Hebrew, uh, the word it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. All of those are in what we would call the neuter voice. It's neither masculine nor feminine. But in the Hebrew, original Hebrew, it's in the masculine singular. Now, if you've studied languages, if you've studied French or, or Spanish, you, you recognize that often nouns have a masculine or feminine gender, and then the pronoun has to agree with it. You understand that if you've taken a foreign language. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's masculine or feminine. It's just the way the words work in that language. That's how Hebrew was. That's how Greek is. English is different. But what if, what if the English translations, which I think they did right, vision is a it, not a he, unless God meant for it to be a he. And so I started chasing that because things like that bother me because I believe in God's word literally. And so I was looking at it. And so then I looked at the New King James, how it translates the same verse, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. Okay, it still used it, but now it's saying it will speak. How, how do visions speak? Because that's actually the literal Hebrew. And then, I, and then I thought, I wonder if, I looked at several commenta uh, commentaries, but then I thought, I wonder if the New Testament, because those are the, that, the best commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament. And if one of the apostles translates an Old Testament verse a certain way, then I'm going to believe what the Holy Spirit told him. Are you with me? Guess what I found? I found that the apostle who wrote the book of Hebrews translated this same verse like this. Hebrews 10.37. He's quoting Habakkuk 2.3. He says, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. He went back to the masculine singular. He, he said, he is coming. I think what we have in this prophecy is what we often have in an Old Testament prophecy, that the prophecy has an immediate fulfillment in their day. Babylon will overthrow Judah, but then Babylon will be overthrown as well. That's the immediate ongoing. So there's an immediate ongoing, and then there's an ultimate fulfillment at the end of time. And I think that points to the person of Jesus. That points to when Jesus comes again in the book of Revelation and he overthrows the world system called Babylon. He overcomes the world government, the world economy, the world religion even called Babylon. Perhaps what God gave Habakkuk was richer than Habakkuk even realized. Because he doesn't know all of this. This would have been a mystery to him. But God is saying, wait for it. It's coming. How about that? I really like that. It may seem slow, but in the end, when I wrap all this up, it will all make sense, and you'll understand everything by and by. <laughs> It'll all be good. Wait till I wrap it up and put the bow on it. In the meantime, cry out, 
Ask your questions. Don't internalize them and get angry and bitter. Pour them out. But trust at the appointed time. And I'm not lying. It's all coming together. Uh, God is basically telling Habakkuk to do what he told David. And David wrote it out in Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. Whenever, whenever you see it, it looks like evil is triumphing. Instead of getting angry and worried, be still before the Lord. Cry it out. Wait patiently for him because he is going to handle it at his appointed time, not ours. And his plans are better than my plans. In 1966, my father died at age 39. I was eight years old. We prayed for him to be healed. He died of cancer. I had a deep wound in my soul. I, I missed my father. I was firstborn of four kids. I really believe. Even when I was at the funeral home, I said, Lord, you could still raise him. Because I had a little boy's belief. I really believe you can still raise him. You can raise him up in that casket. But God didn't. He didn't. Now, I had a choice. I was little, so I didn't know how to work through it. And I know I went through anger and all kind of steps that at the time, little kids don't know how to label their emotions. They just have them. They, or their emotions have them. I don't know which one it is. But I came to a point where I was, I was, I was starving for a father. It could be my coach, it could have been a teacher at school, a male teacher, it could have been my grandfather or my uncle. I'd follow him around like a puppy dog, just to have a, an older man invest in me. And then when I was a teenager, I came to a place of, of looking to God as my father. And real healing came to me. And I, I learned to stop looking to a man and looking to my God. And he healed me. And he, he gave me excess of healing, excess of comfort. That not only had he taken away my father wound, but he had made me want to be a father. So I had excess comfort to want to care for others. I know that my father is in heaven with the Lord. I'll see him again someday. But in God's appointed timing, in order for me to be the pastor that I am, part of what sanctifies me and makes me what I am was this deep loss. I can say that now. I can look back. I could not have said it then. Are you still with me? Then in 2001, my mother died. She was 66. I'll be 66 in a few months. That puts it in perspective for me. And while she was dying, I held her hand and cried out, God, don't you do this to me again. I didn't even know that was in me. It just came out. And my mom, in her pain, opened her eyes and gave me, you better shut up, look. <laughs> if she could have got up, she'd have crammed a bar of dial soap in my mouth. <laughs> don't think she hadn't done it before. But I carried that. My mom passed away and I had to preach. Some of y'all were there back in those days. I was preaching broken. I was preaching angry. 
God would allow me to still stand up. And then during the week, I was laying on my face. God, why'd you do that to me? Why, Lord? Wasn't it enough? Then in 2002, February of 2002, it just happened to be February right now. February of 2002, I took a case of bottled water, a legal pad, my Bible, and a pen, and checked myself into a motel down at the beach. Got better rates at that time of the year. Unplugged the TV so I wouldn't be distracted by anything. And I said, Lord, I'm staying here, and I'm not going to eat until you speak to me. And I've got, I've got two questions. It turned into three, and I'll tell you about that in a second, but I had two questions. One is, can I quit being a pastor because I, I don't belong up there right now? I'm too angry at you. And I believe in you. I just don't like the way you're treating me. And number two, if, I, if, I can, if you won't let me stop being a preacher, can I change churches because I've planned this little church and I'm sick and tired of that portable setting up and tearing down every week. I'm beat up, and I don't want to... Can I move back... To Virginia where I grew up and give me a church that already has a building. <laughs> I'm tired of setting up, tearing down. Those are my two questions. 24 hours, he doesn't say a word to me. I was praying, I was reading the Bible, I was walking out and freezing cold on the beach because it's February and wind blowing. I was the only one out there. And come on, Lord. And about 36 hours into it, he finally spoke to me. And he spoke to me. I, I was reading different parts of the Bible and I was in Zechariah. And it got to the part where he was speaking to Zerubbabel. And, and, and they had just returned from Babylonian captivity. And they had started to build the temple, but then the people lost heart. And it was, the foundation was just laying there, and they'd not finished it. They'd lost heart. And I said, huh. Been ten, oh, 10 years, Zerubbabel. Laying there, not being finished. It just so happened our church was 10 years old. And we'd laid a foundation, but we, and I wanted to quit. And... Um, it said, Zerubbabel, you laid the foundation, um, and you'll set the capstone. And I went, oh, are you talking to me? That's Zerubbabel. You're not talking to me, are you talking? But because I was asking, Lord, I was convinced. I'm, I know I'm not Zerubbabel. I'm Gary, but I know that Zerubbabel was in my story. He was in my story. Ten years laid a foundation hadn't, and wanted to quit. And he goes, he says, Zerubbabel, when you pick up the plumb line, which is a way of saying when you get back to working on it again, the people will rejoice. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I wasn't happy. I got to tell you. I was like, I wanted you to say, can I quit? You ever want to quit? I don't want to quit believing. I just want to quit telling others because I don't believe enough to tell others right now. Kind of just be quiet for a little while. But he wouldn't let me quit. And my third question had a appeared somewhere in the first 24 hours. It was more personal than the other two. Can I quit and can I leave this church? The other one was, can I stop fasting because I have a terrible headache? <laughs> I need some coffee. I got a caffeine headache. And so I thought, well, I'll keep reading Zechariah and see if the Lord tell me the answer to that question. And I got in several chapters later and he goes, why do you keep your fasting and your festivals? They don't even please me. Who are you even doing it for? And I said, yes, Lord. God's good. <laughs> what are you going through? What are you struggling with? The Lord will speak to you. Sometimes you've got to wait for it. Sometimes you've got to wait for a while. But don't stop believing. Be patient. His plans are better. And here's the, final, here's the final way that we can 
grow in this understanding is believe it completely. Believe it completely. We've got a couple more verses here. Believe it completely. We get down to these final verses, and he, he's, he's talking about Babylon, the Lord is, but he interjects some information for Habakkuk in the midst of it. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. Now he's talking about Babylon. Babylon's prideful. He's not upright. But Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. Yeah, you're right about, you're right about Babylon. But you need to believe. You just need to believe. Live by it. Live, whenever, whenever you can't figure it out, keep believing. Because God's time is not your time. Keep on believing. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You don't see it yet. You don't see it yet. It don't look like it's going to work out. But it does. Because God calls all things to work together for the good that are those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Even those things that you thought hurt the worst, He uses for your sanctification. And so Paul quotes this verse when he talks about the gospel. He quotes this verse uh, from 2.4 in Habakkuk in, in Romans chapter 1. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Not by the law, not by rule-keeping, but by faith in Jesus. He goes on, he says, Moreover, wine is a traitor. Now he's talking again about Babylon. An arrogant man who is never at rest. He's always wanting more. He, you never get just one sip of wine. You've got to drink it to the bottom. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Sheol's the Hebrew word for the place of the dead. And, the de and death never gets enough. And Babylon is like death. It, it never gets its feel. He gathers for himself all nations. This is what he's talking about with Babylon. But this is strange. In the midst of this, more, moreover, wine is a traitor. It's a strange phrase, unless you know Babylonian history. Because in 539 B.C., less than a century, 70 years after Habakkuk's prophecy and after Babylon has overthrown Judah, the, the, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his name was Belshazzar, they'd carried off the golden goblets and the, and the silverware from the Jewish temple, and they were having a big party there in Babylon. And Belshazzar, in his drunkenness and in his pride, in his wine, in his cup, said, you know what, somebody go down there and get those, those golden cups from that temple we overthrew down there in Judah. And they were drinking getting partying, having a big time. And then a disembodied finger wrote on the wall there in that room, meeny, meeny, tekel parson. Nobody could read it. He called all of his wives' men in. Nobody could read it. I'm telling you what, old Belshazzar got immediately sober. And then his mother came in and said, I know one that can read it. He used to translate and interpret visions for your father Nebuchadnezzar his name's Daniel and the spirit of God's inside of him you send him in here and he came in and he looked at it and he says oh this says that the Lord has weighed you in the balance and you've been found wanting and he's going to divide your kingdom this very night between the Medes and the Persians there he is 
Old wine is a traitor. <laughs> right there he is. Right in the midst. Right in the midst. And then there it is. Here's Babylon. It came out of nowhere, swept across the fertile crescent, overthrew the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and, and the Judites. And now, 70 years later, they disappear from history, never to be rebuilt. Isn't that something? God said, don't worry, Habakkuk. I've got an appointed time for all this. And when the Jews came back out of 70 years of captivity, they had, uh, their idolatry, their Canaanite idolatry was broken. The synagogue system started. They had new problems, but they, they, they'd been sanctified from their old problems. And they came back, and that Cyrus, the king of Persia that had overthrown Babylon, he allowed them to rebuild their temple, which set up the whole possibility of this vision who was to come, who would speak, named Jesus, who would come into that rebuilt temple. Can you see how God works? Write it down. Let it be deeply engraved in your heart. Believe God's Word more than you believe what you see on the news or what you hear around you. And then wait for it. Keep believing. Because His plans are better than our plans. Let's pray. Lord, I pray first for that one who's never given their life to you. If that's you, my friend, you're here. You've been following your own plan, and, but you would admit my plans aren't working out. I need, I need the Lord. Would you pray with me right now? Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I want your plans for my life. I believe you died on the cross for me, that you were raised from the grave, that you live today. Come and live in me. Forgive me of my sin. Adopt me into your family. I want to be a child of God. I want to serve you as my Lord and Savior. If you're praying that prayer of faith, believing, he'll save you. Others are here, and you've, you've received the Lord, but you're mad. You're hurt. You're asking why. And that's okay. Give it to the Lord, though. Don't stop believing. Lean in. Say, Lord, help me. Help me to get through this. Lord, I want to bless your name even in the difficult times so that I grow more like Jesus. I trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.